0: All right, so we are uh, in like a, this is the second part of a very short two-part series that I started obviously last week because it's two parts. Uh, and what, what I want to do is I'm just looking at wh- what are the implications of the resurrection? What does this give us? And I'm just calling it Raised with Christ, but I'm just looking at the idea of in Christ. I just look through the whole Bible. I suggest you do this sometime. And just search for every place where it says in Christ or with Christ or through Christ. Just look for all those prepositions you learned in middle school and the word Christ, and you will find amazing things. And what one of the things that strikes me is that the version of Christianity that most people think of when they hear the word Christianity is ridiculous. They think it's about some kind of self-improvement a system of ethics and morals that our leader, Jesus, set out, which really gets boiled down to do good to others and love people a lot, and be kind, rewind, I don't know if this came to me from the 80s, but just be nice, right? That's how we pick, and that's, that seems to be the idea of what Christianity is. And let me just tell you, that is like the worst version of what Christianity is, but it's what the world thinks we are. And, it's, and then they, we'd get judged by that standard. Well, you're not being kind, you're not being nice, you're being a bunch of messed up people, and so you're failing to meet the demands of your religion. And what I want to tell you is, it's far, far deeper than that. And I want to blow that idea idea up today, and I want to replace it with the real thing, which is far deeper and far more mysterious (laughs) than you can imagine. Paul calls it the mystery of Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's one I'm not reading this morning. Because there's like hundreds of these verses. But the mystery that has been revealed to us, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery is not do better, be better. The mystery is Christ is in you, and he himself is the hope of glory. All right? And so last week we talked about, I kind of tried to define this idea of being in Christ. And I told you that there are two things participation with Christ and union with Christ. Participation not. In the grave with Christ and you were there being raised with Christ. You were present for that event. If you want to know how, listen to the sermon. All right? And the second is union with Christ. We are wedded to him. We are made one with him. We are The best analogy Paul could come up with was we are one flesh like in marriage. And I tried not to push that metaphor too far, but it's a powerful one. Okay. Those two things. The result of that is what we're going to talk about this morning which is location, identification, incorporation, and eschatology. And I know number six is driving you people crazy because it doesn't rhyme with the other ones. I tried to think of a word. Someone will think of one right now. There's probably four that I didn't think of. All right, So I left it there, and I chuckled when I left it there because it doesn't rhyme, and it's going to annoy somebody. What? Destination. Ah, I knew that somebody would come up with one. Alright. We're not changing it now. Forget it. We just have to be annoyed. All right. I'm not a rhymey pastor. Alright. So I'm just gonna go through these and I'm gonna give you a lot of scripture. My goal is to overwhelm you. To have your brain just kind of go, stop, too much. Because this is all just too much. What he has done for you. And it's bigger than whatever you think he's done for you. It's far greater than that. All right. Also, if you're not a believer, I want you to be jealous. I'm just telling you up front. I just want you to be jealous. I want you to feel like, gee, I would really like to have that to be true about me. That's what I want. That's where I'd like to be. I'd like to have my location changed. I'd like to have my identity changed. I'd like to be incorporated into the body of Christ. So here's the summary statement, all right? I gave this to you last week participation and union with Christ eternally establishes your location in the kingdom of God, your entire identity, both physical and spiritual, your incorporation into the church, and your future resurrection at the second coming as a present reality. And it's that present reality bit that's pretty mysterious. That these events that happened 2,000 years ago and that will happen somewhere in the future at the return of Christ are present in Christ. They're residing in you right now and we will all try to get our heads around that and we will not succeed okay but that's that's the gospel okay so let's start in Romans 5 I was there last week too this is actually right before what we looked at last week about being in Adam and in Christ here's what it says in verse 6 for while we were still weak at the right time Christ died for the ungodly also, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is a really interesting idea that Christ died for the ungodly. That's the, one of the founding creeds of, of Christianity. And at the time, it was incredibly radical. Like every culture in the ancient Near East, Rome, Greece, Israel, all three believed that if you're going to give a gift to somebody... You give it to the most deserving. That's the most, that's the most ethical thing to do with a gift, is you give it to somebody who's going to do something good with it, who's going to turn around and take If you give them money, then they're going to turn around and use that money to the greatest good for the people around them. And they're going to have the most gratitude. And that's going to lift the people around them with their gratitude. And it's going to be good for you because you're receiving their gratitude for the gift. And every culture believed this. And here comes Paul saying this crazy thing. But you can find writings here in that time that are saying this thing Paul's teaching about Christ dying for the ungodly is going to ruin society. Because, and he was right. It's going to turn the whole thing upside down. The very idea that God would take the greatest gift ever given to humanity, which is himself, his own very life, and that he would give it not to those who had great potential who, who, or who had gotten their act together and would do the most good with this great gift. Instead, he goes looking for the worst people, the ungodly, the people shaking their fists at him, the people who are his enemies, and he goes into the enemy's camp. And he says, who's the worst among you? I'll die for you. By the way, you are the worst, okay? That's <laughs> your only qualification you carry. The only thing you bring to the table in your salvation is your worstness, your sin, your ungodliness. What qualifies you? What group do you have to be in, according to this verse, according to Paul? What group do you have to belong to in order for Christ to die for you? The ungodly. You have to be his enemy. That's amazing. Maybe that's not the Christianity you've heard about. <laughs> Maybe the Christianity you've heard about or thought you were a part of was that we are a group of the good people. We're the best. I'm the one that Jesus died for. I think you're in the wrong club. That's why Paul says, I boast in my weakness, right? Because he understood this. Let's look at another one. Colossians 1:13 1, to 14. He says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Okay, so you didn't defect from the kingdom of darkness and sneak across enemy lines to the kingdom of his son. You were a slave and you were in darkness. You enjoyed, just like Jeff was describing, you enjoyed the more you got, the more you want it. You didn't defect and sneak across and he recognized, how would you get in here? This is not the picture we get of you know, when you die and you go to heaven and you got to convince Peter at the gate to let you in. That's not how this works. Jesus came across enemy lines into the domain of darkness and rescued you when you did not want to be rescued. And he snatched you out of that ungodly state of being and he transferred you and carried you across into the kingdom of his son you had a radical change in location when you put your faith in christ you brought nothing to the party but your sin you contribute nothing to your redemption you are only qualified for the enemy's army not god's fully qualified for him but not for christ in christ though you carry the name of jesus Your credentials for holiness are held in him and in him alone. Even now as a Christian, now that you are in the kingdom of God, your qualifications still don't belong to you. Anything good about you, anything good you've done is from him and through him and in him and is held in him completely. You're a citizen of heaven because Jesus is a citizen of heaven. And so long as Jesus is a citizen of heaven, you will be. Why? Because you're in him. So that's location. What about identification? If you're in Christ, and your identity is eternally established in him. Galatians 2, 18-20 says, For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. He's talking about the law. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So verse 20, that second clause in that verse, it says, I live, literally would be, I live, but no longer I, but Christ lives in me. This suggests far more than an improvement to your life and your character. You don't need just a little tweaking, a little improvement, a little help. I've gotten most of, the way, most of the way there, Jesus. I just need a little improvement. I've got a few little issues I need to work on. You know, I, I eat too much bacon. My cholesterol is a little high. I get a little grumpy sometimes. I'm a little melancholy. I just need a little improvement. No, you do not need a little improvement. You need to die and be reborn. I told you last week, talking about the law, right? That that sin is the murderer. The law is the murder weapon, and you need to die. That's the truth. You need to be remade and reborn. You don't need just to be improved. You don't need to find yourself. You need to find Him. Yourself needs to be dead along with Christ in the grave, and a new you needs to be raised again. Your identity is no longer established in you. It is eternally established in Christ. If somebody says, who are you really? If you're a Christian, you say, I'm Jesus. Don't ask me how. I know I don't want to look like it. And easily, 90% of the time, I don't act like it. But I know that's who he says I am. And I know that's where I'm headed, because it's where I started. Because he's declared it to be true about me. This is why Peter can say this astounding statement in 2 Peter 1, 3-4. He says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises. Check this out. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Partakers in the divine nature? What? Like, if Peter didn't say that and I said that, you would probably say, You're a heretic, man. It's too far. You've gone too far, Cotton. What are you, partaking in the divine nature? Are you saying you're a God? No, but man, are we close? Make you feel uncomfortable? How can that be true? And us be so messed up. It can only be true because Christ is in you, and that is the mystery. Who are you? I'm, I'm Jesus, somehow. I'm a partaker in the divine nature, I'm one flesh with Him. And, I, you know, it seems like a bad deal for Him because I'm a mess, but it's what I am. What about incorporation? What do I mean by that? In Christ, you are eternally incorporated into the family of God, the church. You are not alone because you are in Christ. We can just go from there, but let's read a verse. Ephesians 4, 4 through 7, and then 11 through 16. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. That's us. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood and womanhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, but by by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. You are growing up, but you're not growing up into the best version of you. The best version of you doesn't come anywhere close to being enough. The best version of you is the dead you. The height of you. Your best day was the day when you died. That is as good as you get. What you are growing up into is into Christ, into him. He makes it very clear. He said it twice. Into him who is the head. In case you don't know who that is, that's Christ. We are the body of Christ. We are one body brought together, incorporated together as one people under which we are not the body of us. It is not us together, and now we are the best form of ourselves because we have come together, and we're all so unified, and we're also great. This is the best church on the planet And because we are the best church on the planet, we are the best version of humans. No, we are not. We are nothing better than the body of Christ. We died. We are a collection of dead people that have been resurrected in Christ. And the reason we come together, the thing that binds us together as a church is not our awesomeness or our vision or our doctrine or any of those things. The thing that binds us together before God is that we are in Christ together. That's it all we got. You take Christ away, and I don't even know we can hang out together anymore. (laughs) I mean, I don't have a lot in common with some of y'all. I mean, I know for me, most of you, what you like about me is the parts of me that are like Jesus. The parts of me that aren't are just embarrassing and terrible. (laughs) Right? It's true of all of us. The thing that binds us together as a body is Christ. You have a family because of him. You say, i got my family. There's a better family. That's the Christ family. It's being bound together in him. That means you're never alone. If you want to know, if you want to ever be in the presence of Jesus, just go sit down next to another Christian. It's the primary way God makes his presence known is through other people because they're in Christ. Christ is in them. Christ is in you. When you sit down and you talk, especially when you talk about him, what do you feel? You feel the presence of God. You go, this is weird because you're not God, and I sure aren't. Yeah, ain't, ain't, (laughs) ain't, aren't. But somehow in this fellowship together, he's present. That's an amazing gift. In Christ, we're unified, so we should act like it. In Christ, we are diverse, so we should act like it. In Christ, we are all that Christ says we are. You know, all the criticisms we can level against the church begin in the wrong place, I think. There's a lot of criticisms to be made. But we start our criticism with the way Paul always does. He starts with what you are, and then says, act like it. He doesn't say, act better so that you can be. So he says, you are one body. So stop being covetous and dissenting and divisive and gossipy and unloving. Not because if you don't do those things, you won't be unified. He says, you are one body, so act like it. You know, right now, even though sometimes it doesn't look like it, all across the world, Christians are worshiping right now or will at some point today when their time gets caught up with 10.30, right? All kinds of cultures, languages, all different shades of doctrine, and they're all worshiping the same Jesus. That means that we are the most diverse group of people on the planet. Ever thought about that? Therefore, we should act like it. See, this is how we approach criticism. Is we say, who are we? Who does he say we are? And so let's act like that. Let's be ourselves in that sense, not in the dead sense, because we're dead, right? This is the root of everything. This is the foundation of everything. What about eschatology or destination? If you like it to rhyme. In Christ, your future resurrection at the second coming is established as a present reality. Colossians 3, 1 to 4, it says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. That's an example of what I just said, by the way. Set your minds, you've been raised with Christ, therefore set your mind on things above. Look at verse 3. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears then you also will appear with him in glory. What's your guarantee that when Jesus appears at the second coming that you'll go with him? It's because you're already in him and he is in you. You are unified with him. Where he goes, you go. So where he is, you're going to be. That's Paul's logic. Look at 1 Peter 1, 3-9, he says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And if you jump down to verse 8, he says, Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's an amazing sentence. Obtaining presently. Present tense. You are now obtaining what is being held for you and for the future. Man, I don't understand that sentence. Is that a typo? No, it's not. In the Greek, it says the same thing. All right? He, he means to mix up the verb tenses. One second, he's talking about your future glory. When Jesus comes back, it's going to be amazing, man. And you're in him, and he's in you, and it's coming. And then he says, you're obtaining it right now. What in the world? What is this? You see how Christianity is not this little add-on to your otherwise pleasant existence. And it's not a crutch that you lean on because your life is messed up and you just need something to believe in. The world tells us that believing is what matters, not what you believe in. Just believe. Believe, man, that's the Disney mantra, right? It's everywhere. Just believe. Faith. Faith in what? Just believe. Believe in what? It's not about your belief and the strength of your faith. It's about what it's in, who it's in and who you are in. Jesus has gone ahead of you and secured your future resurrection and the eternity, your eternity with him that comes with it. Everything that heaven will be is yours now in Christ. Now I realize that doesn't line up exactly with your reality. Are you going to leave here and... Arguments you have with your spouse are going to be waiting for you. The the problems in your life are going to be waiting for you. Your job is going to be waiting for you. Your life and you and your mess is going to be waiting for you. And you say, well, this doesn't seem like heaven. I just want to tell you the way you address those things, the way you change, the way you grow, is you don't start with, I need to do better and be better. You start with, who does he say I am? You start at the end and you go to the beginning. (laughs) You start with what he says about you. That's why I always say you're becoming what you already are. There are three places where the Holy Spirit is referred to as the Spirit of Christ. I've got them in the notes. I'm not going to read them. I think this is really significant. In other words, one of the names of the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. It's the way Paul often refers to the Holy Spirit. Look at Colossians 2, 9 through 10. He says, For in him, the whole, the whole, the entire fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. What a verse. So what does it mean when we say Jesus lives in my heart? And you ask little kids, like, is Jesus in your heart? And they say, yes or no. And I know in their little imaginations, they're imagining like a little human Jesus, you know, swimming around inside the goo inside their bodies that they don't understand, right? That's all right. But there's a profound truth to that, isn't there? How is it that Jesus, who still has a body, can, does he shrink down and get inside of our heart? No, he's still Jesus in the flesh. Paul would say the spirit of Christ dwells in you. You are filled in Him. The, Spirit, the Holy Spirit fills you. And What He fills you with is all of this good stuff. People ask me, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Like, what, am I, what, what will I experience? i get kind of nervous. Will it be weird? Will it be strange? Will it be scary? And I think what, what He's going to fill you with is the facts. Of all the things that the facts of your participation with Christ, your union with Christ, your incorporation into Christ, your future resurrection, your identity change, and your change of location into the, all those facts become real, right here, and right now. You experience them. Don't you want to experience that? Do we just not talk about it? Like you read the, the the fruit of the spirit that Paul gives out. He says, "Here's the fruit of the spirit." You know what that looks like? A person that perfectly exhibits all the fruit of the Spirit? That person looks like Jesus. To be filled with the Spirit is to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit. Wouldn't you like to have patience and joy? Wouldn't you like to be more long-suffering? I would. Your sin doesn't make you any less of a saint if you're in Christ. That's good news. Your lack of experience and power and in the presence of Christ doesn't make you any less united with him. If you are in Christ, in Christ, being always precedes doing. Who you are, who he declares you to be, always precedes doing. But the opposite is also true. Your good works do not get you any closer to righteousness. Sorry if you've been wearing like a Christian gold star. I hate to disappoint you. If you're not in Christ, it doesn't get you any closer. It's like my favorite metaphor for this is the Grand Canyon. If you've heard this before, don't stop. me. It's like you have, like me, I can't jump three feet. And like whoever the record holder is for the long jump in the world, probably someone skinnier and faster than me, right? And we're both going to jump the Grand Canyon. And I'm like, I'm going to give it a shot. And I jump and I get about two feet and I plummet to my death at the bottom of the Grand Canyon, as expected. Long jumper comes out. And he says, I got this. I got the world record. And he runs and he jumps impressively far at a beautiful arc into nothingness. And he too falls and crashes to his death at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. This is what your righteousness is like. The best Example of us the most self-controlled the most holy the most do-gooding one among us does not come close to crossing the chasm between you and god the holiness required of you is too far and too great Amen. you cannot jump it god is not impressed by all your good works You can cast out demons and do miracles in Jesus' name, but it means nothing if you are not in Christ. He'll say, I don't even know you. You cannot remake yourself. All you can do is improve on yourself, and that will never be enough. I'm not trying to depress you. I'm just trying to help you to see the reality of the situation. You are never going to be good enough. What you need is Christ. You need to die, and you need to be remade, and that's the one thing you cannot do for yourself. Only he can do that. If you're in Christ, if your faith is in him, if you're a follower of Jesus, he promises that as you are filled with the Spirit and as you walk in the Spirit, you will exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. As you say, fill me, Holy Spirit, this is what comes out of you. This is where the change comes. The Holy Spirit ensures that all these doctrinal truths about being unified with Christ is not just a metaphor about being relationally close to Jesus. It is a concrete, present reality. It is the only way it can be a concrete, present reality. And that reality is made concrete first by believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth that Jesus is risen from the dead and he is Lord, and second by the daily filling of the Spirit of Christ. So if you're not a Christian, here's how you get in the door. Peter answered the question, how do we be saved? He said two things. I love how he simplified it. He says, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth two things. Jesus is risen from the dead. Easter is true. The resurrection is real. And number two, that guy who rose from the dead and is present He's Lord. He's in charge of me, and He's char- in charge of everything. People said, You do those two things, you're in Christ. But you got, yes, you know, it's the believing in your heart part. <laughs> it's not just coming down front and saying some words, it's believing in your heart that these things are true. And for the rest of us who are in Christ, and you look at your life and you say, I am not acting like Him, and I'm frustrated that I'm not acting like Him more. This sounds great, Pastor, and I read all these verses. All these hundreds of verses that say the same thing over and over and over again. But then I look at my life and I go, I'm very disappointed in the outcome thus far. Don't show your hands because it's everybody. What do I do? Pursuit the Holy Spirit. You get up in the morning and you say, I'm a mess. I'm not acting like Jesus. And I know what he says about me, and I believe it's true. So Holy Spirit, would you make it a concrete, present reality in me? Would you fill me from head to toe? I need you living through me, not me. Because me is not going to get it done. So, in a minute we're going to sing one last song together and close. And I want to ask for you to consider two things. I'm going to read a verse. It's one that sort of summarizes everything. And I want to ask you to ask two questions. One, do I believe in this Jesus? Is this the Jesus I believe in? And number two, is this alive and present for me in my heart right now? And be honest. So if you don't believe in this Jesus, I just want to ask you would you just believe in him? (laughs) Just do it. It's all good stuff. You need to die. Stop trying to fix you, and just let you die with Christ and be remade and reborn. Wouldn't that be great? That'd be great. And number two, if, you're, if, you, if you've kind of crossed that line, and you're just like, this is just not present for me. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to ask him, I need this present. I need this real in my heart. I want to experience this now. I need this. Because if that's where you're at, I want you to get prayer too, all right? So we're gonna, I'm going to read this verse. I want you to ask those two questions. Do I believe in this Jesus, and is this alive in my heart? And then while we're singing together, we'll have some people up here to pray for you over on the sides. Come up and ask them to pray for you. All right, I'm going to read. This is Ephesians 2, 1 through 9. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. God, I pray right now that you would bring this home to each one of us. God, we've put our faith in this, We trust in this, that what you say about us is the truth about us. God, would you now make us to be what you've already declared us to be? God, we lay down these paltry forms of faith that the world tells us is enough. We lay it down. And God, we pick up the truth, the mystery of Christ in us, the hope of glory. Not one of us is a mere mortal. God, I pray that for those of us who don't know you, that you would place faith in their hearts right now. That they would have a holy jealousy that, oh, this sounds like something I want to be part of. God, that their faith would be just simple in Jesus. God, I just want to follow Jesus. Put faith in their heart right now. God, that they would be suddenly aware of their lostness, of their being outside of you and hopeless without you. God, that you would draw them in to your presence right now. And God, I pray that all of us right now would be filled with the Holy Spirit. God, that these beautiful, wonderful, mysterious truths will become concrete and real and present for each of us. God, that you would empower us to share this with the world. God, the mystery that Christ died for the ungodly will become our mantra to the world. God, I pray that we would be transformed by this. In the name of Jesus. Amen.